You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in today for our 10th episode of Road Talk. This is a podcast of the Preston Crest Church of Christ here in North Dallas. And this month we have been discussing the doctrine and the teaching of baptism, why that is so important for Christians and why that is so important for the life and the teaching of the church. I started this series about a month ago just giving a very brief overview of baptism and explaining you know what it does for us as believers it's it's much more than just being saved from hell but baptism activates us into a beautiful life that we are blessed to live for Jesus. We got to hear from Boo Scott in Norman, Oklahoma, as he told us about his journey to baptism and and what it meant for him. And last week, we talked with Robert Taylor with Waterview Church of Christ in Richardson, Texas, about the topic of rebaptism. When should we be rebaptized? Why should we be rebaptized? What would lead to that conversation even taking place? And today we're going to be joined by a great preacher and a great friend of mine down in the Austin area in Dripping Springs, Texas, Jacob Rutledge of the Dripping Springs Church of Christ. And Jacob is going to talk with us about how do we teach other people about baptism. We'll get into that topic a little bit more in just a moment, but Jacob, we are glad to have you with us today. Hey, great to be here with you, Jacob. Jacob, tell us a little bit about your family and your ministry, your background, all that good stuff, and we'll get going after that. Uh, Well, uh, my wife and I uh, have been married for uh, 10 years. We just celebrated 10 years. Her name's Jessica. Uh, We have three kids, Natalie, uh, Easton, and Lincoln, and we just found out we have number four on the way. Uh, We have been laboring with the uh, church here in Dripping Springs for five years previously, uh, we work with the church in Atlanta, Texas, which is Northeast Texas, and um, you know things are going well. Uh, we've been we've been really blessed in a lot of different ways that uh, by this congregation and by the work here. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of just a quick summary of, of of me. Well, you could not be in a prettier part of Texas and Dripping Springs, and also a part of Texas experiencing tremendous tremendous growth. So, yes, yeah, that's been one of the. The uh, interesting parts uh, about uh, being in a growing area, uh, transitioning from kind of a smaller country town to uh, a very fast-growing suburban area and trying to figure out how to engage that community um, as the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a beautiful area for sure. Well, yeah, I used to live down in that area, and I know that you have members at your congregation that uh, used to attend church in Wichita Falls where I was preaching, so yes. I keep up with you through them, and I know that they're very uh, 
they're very thankful to have you. I think you are their favorite Jacob preacher. You're Jacob number one, and I think I've effectively <laughs> become Jacob number two. No, no, no. It is going to be interesting because, you know, having the same name going back and forth yeah. saying Jacob, we think it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I would encourage those listening today, and then we'll get into the topic, but uh, go to Dripping Springs website for the Dripping Springs Church of Christ, and you can watch Jacob preach there and he also does some excellent Facebook videos. He just finished a series on love that I thought was outstanding. So I'm glad to be able to have him today on the podcast. And like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, how do we teach other people about baptism? It's one thing to know for our own sake why it's so important, but when it comes down to the task of making disciples, which is clearly a job that Jesus gives for current disciples to make more disciples, uh, how do we go about doing that. And I think Jacob's going to help us tackle that question today. Uh, Jacob, the first question that I've put down for us to discuss today is, you know, why why are there so many different baptisms discussed in the religious world? Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really interesting question and uh, one that's kind of foundational to understanding where we are in the present moment when it comes to baptism. And I, you know, if you look back historically and, and scripturally, um, there's there's very early on within the church a uniformity of teaching and practice when it comes to baptism. Um, but as time progresses and different teachings come in and different um, integrations with the government and things of that nature, uh, over time things that maybe were viewed as exceptions to the norm start to become the normal practice. Um, for example, you know, in the Didache, which you know is an early kind of formalized uh, document of some of the early church practices, you see that there was uh, you know an exception if there wasn't uh, water available mm-hmm. for immersion, but that was even within that document was viewed as an exception. It certainly wasn't the norm. But as is the case with a lot of people, mm-hmm. the exception sometimes becomes the norm over time. And then, of course, um, after the Reformation, that that really freed up um, the the teaching and the doctrine for individuals to have uh, various practices and beliefs about baptism. Uh, Martin Luther, of course, um, taught about salvation uh, through faith alone, uh, by grace alone. But he hadn't completely renounced the idea of the importance of the necessity of baptism. But others were, were thinking along those lines. And, um, and so the, in, in some circles, there almost came to be a, a rejection of baptism or at least a practice that negated the importance of it. And then, of course, um, by those uh, from, from early Catholic practice, there was the practice of baptizing infants and things of that nature, which is different from bat- immersing believers, uh, difference in modes that came over time. Um, so really, it, it, it arises from in my opinion, exceptions becoming the normative over time and also from a diversity of teaching uh, that happened as a result of the Reformation mm-hmm. and the resulting splintering that happened after that. Sure, sure. Well, as people are listening to you talk, obviously you have an extensive vocabulary, Jacob, so uh, thank, no. <laughs> you for, thank you for that. What did you call that ancient document, the, the Didache? Is that how you pronounced it? Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. Other people could say the Didache or, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I take a wild guess. At yeah. what, you know. I, I had a professor call it the Didache when I was in graduate yeah. school, and to me that sounded like a 
roller coaster at an amusement park. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, get on. Let's get in line to ride the Dodachi. Um, I think Diddy yeah. is probably probably a better pronouncement of that. But you're exactly right, and I appreciate you pointing back to the history of this, and as you said, the uniformity of baptism. Uh, if you had asked people in the first century, in the first century church, what type of baptism did you receive outside mm-hmm. of, you know, the discussion we see in the book of Acts with Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla, outside the discussion of the baptism of John, if you had asked them, you know, how were you baptized, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what mm-hmm. do you mean, how was I baptized? We we got into water, we came up out of water, it was for the forgiveness of sins, uh, it was in the very hour of the night as we see through the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh this discussion of when, where, how, why, all of that stuff that we talk about today would not have been an issue at that time. So kind of back to that question, why are all these different baptisms preached today, do you think? Well, I think, I, I think again, for, for a host of reasons, um, one of the reasons is, is because simply because over time, you know, teachings, uh, become beliefs, become doctrine, uh, become you know the the standard. Uh, and, and really, if you if you start, for example, I'll just use this as an example. If you start with the Reformation belief that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, any addition to that. Now, I don't, you know, Martin Luther, again, I think he was he hadn't completely gone to this point, but certainly Calvin had in in some ways. When you when you accept that as the the standard for salvation, any addition to that is considered a work, mm-hmm. unless it is already confirming what God has done within your life, mm-hmm. um, and th- by grace alone, by faith alone. And so, what you now have is a stream of teaching that has persisted for quite some time that rejects any connection with one's initial salvation to baptism. Because if you affirm that, if you accept that, then you are rejecting the teaching of by faith alone, by grace alone, at least in the minds of the Reformed doctrine. Right. Uh, the, and, and so you have that. You have this stream of teaching that has continued. Tradition, you know, it just, it just solidifies certain things within our minds over years. And individuals, you know, can't even conceive of something, you know, for example, sprinkling or pouring, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I mean, by the biblical definition, that's, that's not baptism, you know, by, by, by the terminology, even within the language itself. But, you know, you can watch on television, you can watch on movies, and whenever someone's baptized, okay, it, it most likely might be sprinkling or just someone pouring over the head. When that's your image within your mind, you don't really even think to question that. It's not nefarious motives or it's not... Uh, you know, wickedness on the part of that individual. It's just that is what they've been taught is baptism, you know. Um, and, you know, to question it is just, for many people, doesn't even come up in their minds to question it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. And, and traditions get passed down and get labeled as truth, and then practices become, you know, just accepted as absolute and throughout right. time. You get further and further away from the text and what baptism was originally meant for. Now, if if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, these are a bunch of theological terms and 
uh, church history that I know nothing about and this intimidates you, please do not let it intimidate you because we're going to get really practical here because the goal of this episode is not just an analytical academic study of the history of baptism, but we want people listening to this to feel like they can explain to others why baptism is so important and kind of know how about or how to go about doing that. So, uh, Jacob, we're kind of alluding to this a little bit, but Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul lists kind of what we've called, you know, the ones chapter that he says there's there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's, there's one body, there's one spirit. In that same list of ones, he mentions the one baptism. So in a very practical, uh, you know, basic terminology, what, what is that one baptism you think he's describing? Um, well, I think that's a great question. In fact, that's often where I start with individuals when talking about baptism is going to this. Because, I mean, Ephesians is pretty early written. I mean, right. this is, you know, the, the epistles were written before the Gospels. And so um, this is pretty early on where Paul's already saying there's, there's one baptism, right? So um, within that, I think when you look at the word baptism, first off, I think that's a good place to start. What does baptism actually mean well well i mean it's 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 inherently speaking of the mode the action uh-huh. the word baptism within the greek means to plunge to dip to submerge that's literally what the word means and so when we're asking what is the one baptism then it means to plunge someone to dip someone of course within water mm-hmm. um and so that's the kind of the first step there um but then I think when you look through the book of Acts in particular, you see a few other things. Um, for example, uh, in Acts chapter 19, I'm sure that uh, uh, Robert talked about that last week. Uh, but whenever Paul runs across these disciples uh, of John and uh, they are immersed again, um, there we see that it says he baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So the one baptism does have to do Okay, it's an immersion, but it's an immersion based upon what God has done within Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's based upon a faith in what God has done by his grace within the death, within the resurrection of Jesus Christ, believing in our hearts that that God has raised him from the dead, believing who he is. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 talks about that. So it's an immersion, trusting in the saving work of Christ, um, for a particular reason. That's what we see over and over again in the book of Acts. It's for the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. right? That's that's that that clause that shows us it's for a specific reason. The in Acts 19 kind of shows us that the mindset, what we believe about certain things matters when we're baptized. Right. Over and over again, we see Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 22, 16. Baptism is the point in which the faith of man intersects with the grace of God. Right. And we are given of our sins. So the one baptism is immersion by trusting in the work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And all of that implies that it's being done by someone who understands what they're doing. Right. Because the faith of Scripture is a faith that is intellectual. You can understand what you're doing. You can grasp it. And it's it's volitional we can choose we have a will we're choosing um and so we're talking about individuals who know the difference between right and wrong you know 
infants, of course, would not fall under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's what I would say, kind of working back through, what is the one baptism? It's immersion trust by trusting in the work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins by someone who is able to comprehend and understand what they're doing. Absolutely. That is so well put. And, uh, you know, I always joked, especially down there in the hill country where you are, when people start talking about different types of baptisms, and they said, well, immersion, sprinkling, all that. I'm like, guys, you know, we're going to do this like you treat your chicken fried steak. You don't sprinkle gravy on your chicken fried steak. You immerse <laughs> that sucker in gravy. Uh, you know, and that's exactly that's exactly what the word means. And I love how you put it. It's in the name of Jesus. There there were baptisms that existed before the death and resurrection of Christ. So that separated it apart from the baptism of John. And then so well put for the forgiveness of sins. This is not uh, because you've already been forgiven. This is how you're forgiven. Uh, this is not for membership in a specific church. It's to become part of the body of Christ, uh, right. singular. And the terminology here, one baptism in Ephesians 4, makes a pretty exclusive cut of singularity. It's right next to one Lord. Yep. Well, we can't read this passage and say, well, no, there's only there's only one Jesus, but there right. are several baptisms. No, it's mm-hmm. on the same list with one Lord, one faith, uh, one spirit, you know, he being the Holy Spirit, he is in the singular form there. So, well, so is the baptism. So, uh, and I love your point when you're studying with people, this is a foundational truth. When people start saying, well, I was baptized as a baby or I was baptized over here. Isn't that going to be good enough? Well, at the end of the day, that's for God to decide, not us. But biblically, I think the answer to that would be no. I think the yeah, I think the easy way to go about doing that, and what I've done in the past, is to say, okay, let's first look at okay. Here, Ephesians four says there's one baptism. So you might write that up on the whiteboard and say, okay, here's one baptism. Now let's put some bullet points underneath this. What does the Bible say is the one baptism? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's put in the second column how you were baptized. Mm-hmm. Give me some descriptors. Mm-hmm. How what, you know, and then compare those two and say, okay, so were you baptized with the one baptism mm-hmm. that we see within Scripture? Mm-hmm. And just helping people to kind of clearly see that it's not. I mean, we see over and over, particularly within the Book of Acts, the end of Acts eighteen, Acts nineteen, throughout the Book of Acts. There's nothing unloving. There's nothing wrong with correcting someone's religious. Um, error. Hmm. I mean, we need to be corrected at times, right? I mean, we need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And so, you know, there's there's nothing hateful or wrong about that. In fact, if we love somebody, we want the best for them. We want them to be able to stand before God with the full assurance of faith, knowing that they have followed the scriptures and they have trusted fully in the word of God and not in the teachings of men. Yeah, absolutely. And Man, that, that is such a good point, Jacob, that, uh, you know, your whiteboard example, w- when you're doing that, you're you're asking questions. Right. You aren't making statements. And that's one of the <laughs> best things to know about teaching other people. The quickest way to turn someone off to Christianity or a more mature understanding of baptism is to condemn or to affirm that they're wrong. Let mm-hmm. them come into that understanding through the text. And I love your illustration there of the whiteboard. Okay, the Bible says this, there's one baptism. Then the Bible describes this one baptism with these attributes. Can we agree on that? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, well, let's mm-hmm. talk about yours. Does yours look like that? Yes or no? Those are questions. Those are questions. 
Um, and so that kind people, of will, people will wrestle with that. I mean, right. and I've, you know, I've seen people break down in tears and it's not because I'm, you know, berating them or anything. Um, but they have come to realize that something that they previously had quite a bit of assurance in all of a sudden they just realize it can't be backed up by scripture. And these are good hearted people that love the Lord that want to follow his word. And all of a sudden they're, they're looking at their life and thinking, man, this kind of rock solid assurance that I have isn't quite as absolute as I previously thought, you know, yeah. and that, that unsettles them at yeah. times. So let's talk about these couple of questions. We'll combine them into one question, but I put yeah. down, um, cause you're answering some of this already, but when have you seen baptism taught well? And then when have you seen it not taught well? Um, I'm going to list specific names. Of specific, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, I was thinking about that question, and I, I really, I've heard great sermons on baptism through the years. I, I've seen people, you know, um, teach others about baptism. I've learned myself from them. I've seen it taught wrongly or incorrectly, and, and not just um, the doctrine, but uh, or not really even the doctrine, but rather the spirit it was done in or the uh, way it was conveyed. And, and really what I, what I thought about this was, whenever baptism is taught with the focus on the cross, whenever baptism is taught as an act of faith, an act of trust in God's work within Christ, then it is taught right. Mm -hmm. It is taught right. When the focus is on the grace of God, when the focus is on the mercy of God, when the focus is on this is you calling on the name of the Lord and saying, I need to be saved, mm -hmm. and he is saving you, and all of the focus is on God, then it's taught right. Mm -hmm. Whenever the focus is simply on the act of baptism itself, um, whenever it's disassociated from the grace of God, whenever it's taught kind of almost without necessarily saying it as a work, then it's taught wrong. Yes. And, um, and I've seen this happen one time. It really disturbed me um, where, you know, I know a lot of congregations do this and it's fine. We, we do this, but you know, you give a baptismal, baptismal certificate to someone after they're baptized, just as a way of commemorating when they were baptized. And it's kind of a way of reminding them, okay, this is the date that I was baptized and I became a Christian. But I remember after one lady being baptized, who I wasn't quite sure she was ready, but um, she was baptized. I, I don't, I don't believe I baptized her, but one of our deacons did. This was at a previous congregation, and um, and she posted on Facebook later this baptismal certificate, and the language that she used really bothered me because it was it was along the lines of you know look what I did kind of deal, you know, and it really made me question. Did, did we really convey this correctly mm. about what baptism is, mm. you know, um, because it certainly, it, it certainly is not a, a work that we are doing to save ourselves. And so I think the focus of that matters and it all needs to be focused on. This is where the, this is where you receive the grace of God. This is where mm. God saves you. This is not about you. This is about what he is doing. You're being, baptized into the death of Christ, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. You are now participating in the death of Christ, you know, and it's all about him, and it's all about his power. Um, and so I think that kind of, to me, is the dividing line of, okay, when is it taught correctly and biblically? When is it off-center and off-focused? Wow, wow. that Yeah, I love your comparisons there of when it's taught correctly and incorrectly. And it is, you're exactly right, it is all about the power 
in the mercy of God and especially the supremacy of Christ in that moment. I've heard people make statements, you know, like you, you need to get down to that church and save yourself. And mm-hmm. you don't save yourself. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus is mm-hmm. the one who saves you. That is Ephesians 2, 8, and 8 through 10. You know, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is right. not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Uh, now, you know, you, you have to receive that grace, and you receive that right. grace through your faith. But to convince ourselves that we've saved ourselves because we've put on a garment and walked down into a, a bathtub for all practical purposes and had someone mm-hmm. push us under the water, that is that is a terrible understanding of the spiritual significance of that moment um so i really appreciate the way you you describe that in in your experience what's the hardest thing about teaching others about baptism well uh, the hardest thing is 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 really witnessing how unsettling it can be for them Mm -hmm. um because you know it's i mean we we love the people that we study with uh, we care about them um, and, and kind of them coming to that conclusion that, that they, they might not be saved, yeah. you know, they, they might not be in right standing with the Lord and therefore others, uh, might not be saved or others might not be, um, in good standing with the Lord. Of course, you know, I agree with you. That's, that's the Lord is the judge and he's the one that'll do what's right. Um, but I, but I think that. Kind of coming to that conclusion or, 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 or struggling with that, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, and, and then also, I would say, um, sometimes whenever you're talking to people about baptism, uh, they suddenly kind of have a revisionist history, uh, where you're you're telling them the truth about baptism, and then later they're like, "Oh yeah, well that's how I was baptized." Mm-hmm. Well, if you know the tradition from which they're coming, you know that they most likely were not baptized in that way. There could be an exception, uh, certainly could be. The Word of God is powerful. It's able to break through any barriers. But at the same time, you're like, well, let, let's look at this again. But if they've already settled in their mind and kind of created this revisionist history, uh, well, that's how it was. And it's hard to kind of get them to accept maybe other considerations. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's sometimes important to even before you discuss baptism to say, okay, can you write down, can you get, yeah. you know, tell me a quick summary, your salvation experience, you know, what happened when you were, had you been baptized, what that looked like. Um, and then so that you can later say, well, this is in your own words. And I'm not trying to trap people. I'm just trying to say to any of us, you know, we want to assume the best about our motives. We want to assume <laughs> the best about our past. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that helps bring some clarity. But I think those are probably the two of the biggest struggles. Yeah, that is so well said. And there is so much wisdom. Again, that goes back to asking questions rather than making statements. Let them describe right. for you their baptism experience rather than you describing it and then them saying, well, that that's what happened for me. Um, right. Two things happen. One, it takes you off the hot seat. And then two, it makes them actually seek if what they did was right or wrong. And right. in either instance, you cannot be the bad guy in that moment. You know, mm-hmm. they've either got to wrestle with their own guilt or they've got to wrestle with reality. And yeah. uh, Robert Oglesby was my mentor who preached for the Waterview Church for, you know, 53 years. And when he taught me how to do personal evangelism, he would say, you know, whenever you start a Bible study, you're, you're going to come down uh, to some things that could cause some, uh, not just disagreement, but tension. And so he said what he always did was just ask a few questions as as the study would begin, such as, all right, can we both believe that, 
uh, the Bible is the Word of God. Anyone who's going to sit down for the Bible study most of the time is going to say, well, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, can we both believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, unless you're studying with someone who's probably Jewish, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. anyone professing the name of Christ is going to agree with that as well. And mm-hmm. then he would say, can we both agree that I'm not going to be your judge and you're not going to be my judge? God's going to be our judge. Mm. Well, yeah, I can agree with that, too. Okay, well, if we agree that the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that we're not going to judge either either one of us, God's going to, why don't we see what God's Word has to say about this? And that, from from the get-go, takes the stinger out of the, out of the horn. Right. You know? It takes right. the problem uh, out of the situation, diffuses tension. And I, th- I think that's what you're describing there. Mm. So... Uh, Here's one thing I've struggled with. Okay, if we're gonna, if our goal is to lead someone to baptism, and we're gonna set up a Bible study with them, <laughs> with that end goal in mind, because we know they need to come into a covenant relationship with God, how long do you wait until you bring baptism up in the study? Mm. Well, first off, I want to say that I think that's a perfectly acceptable goal to have in mind when it comes to personal evangelism. Um, I think a lot of times we put a lot of doubts in our minds when it comes to evangelism as to, okay, what's the end goal here, right? Mm -hmm. I want this person to come to know Christ. And the only way that they're going to come to really know Christ is by receiving his forgiveness in the way he's prescribed within his word and within his teaching. Of course, as as you know, it it depends on the person. You know, it depends on where that person is and their knowledge and their understanding of God's word. But I would say that number one, there are two central things that have to happen before they're ready to talk about baptism. Number one, they have to be convicted of their sin. Mm. They have to be genuinely convicted that they are under the condemnation of an almighty and holy God. Um, they, they have to come to that because you, 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 you're not going to do what needs to be done to receive the gift of salvation um, it, unless you believe that you need to be saved. Mm. And you're not going to praise Jesus after you're baptized unless you believe that he saved you from something, mm. something that you could not possibly save yourself from. And I say that because I've seen some people, or at least without realizing it, I think, um, try and get people into the, the waters of baptism before they're ever really convicted that they are sinners. And I see this happen a lot with our young people as well, um, that, that, that they are immersed before they really have any concept of themselves as a sinner. I, I mean, I recently had this come up with a young lady that I was talking with, and and she's a little bit older, and her family thought she was ready to be baptized. But the problem is, she's a great, great young woman, but the problem is she doesn't think that she's a sinner, or she at least she doesn't realize the full implications of that. Um, now, she knows everything there is to know about baptism, um, you know, and, and I think a lot of people do. But you have to be convicted of yourself. You have to see yourself in, in that light. And then number two, they have to have a firm conviction. And this is what Romans is, uh, Paul is talking about Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. They have to have a firm conviction that, number one, Jesus is the Son of God. And that they have to have a firm conviction that he rose him from the dead, that God rose him from the dead. Um, and and, the, and I, I know those are basic. You're like, well, obviously they have to believe that. But, man, I've seen it time and time again where it's like we, we kind of reverse it. For example, sometimes people talk about the church. They talk about the church. They hardly ever talk about sin, or they they hardly ever talk about how Jesus accomplished the satisfaction for our sin on the cross. There's hardly any mention of the cross. Right. And it's like, okay, 
they can know about the church all day long, but unless they see themselves see themselves in the light of God's holiness and his truth, and they see that the only way that they were saved from that is by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection from the dead, then there's no point in even discussing baptism because it's not going to do them any good. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you have someone who's convicted about those two things, really, no matter where they are in their knowledge of Scripture, if they're convicted about those two things and they're ready to say, I need Jesus Christ, then that's the point at which you're able to discuss baptism. Mm -hmm. And if you have someone who's genuinely convicted of their sin, who genuinely loves Jesus, you might have some disagreements about baptism or their past experiences, but you're working on a solid foundation there. Sure, sure. Uh, again, so well said. You know, uh, Boo Scott made the statement a couple weeks ago. He said, "You can't know the beauty of being saved until you know the, you know, the ugliness of being lost." And mm. uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to you, and it doesn't empower you for Christian living if you feel like you're just a good person that's getting wet um, right. and doing what your parents want you to do, or just kind of what your faith tradition expects of you. Uh, the, the examples we see, particularly on the day of Pentecost, you know, with the wording of these people are cut to the heart. They're miserable. They're crying out. They're mm-hmm. desperate. We we have messed up Great big point. time. Yes. What do we need to do to make this right? This was not a, you know, well, it's, I'm 13 now, and uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to I'd like to be able to lead some songs in service or, uh, you know, be a leader in my youth group. So this is what I do. Not these people are desperate for salvation yes when they're when they're baptized there is a delicate balance though and i've i've always struggled with this because i've seen people who sit down for a quote-unquote bible study and within the first five minutes they're talking about baptism in the baptistry and i don't think Mm. that's healthy because then Mm. it's like a setup like only reason i'm studying with you is to get you in the water Right. Then I've also seen the system where people study for six to eight months before they ever bring up baptism. And it's like, yeah. well, dude, eventually we got to get around into like how we get forgiven. You know, we yes. can have a history yeah. lesson all day long. Um, and, and we see this with with Jesus in the Great Commission. The order in which he gives the Great Commission is go make disciples, baptize them, then teach them. So mm-hmm. even even Jesus in that terminology alludes to the fact that once the baptism takes place, you aren't done with these people. Mm-hmm. There is still teaching that takes place post-baptism, but you don't do the baptism until they're a disciple. Um, yeah, and I, and, and, I, and I want to add that to what I was saying. Um, I, I think that, like you said, having an end goal in mind is important to evangelism. But number one, not rushing people to that point not not putting them in the water before they're ready um and number two something else that needs to be considered is the they need to understand what it means to be a disciple of jesus christ they they need to understand that this is not just a one and done deal Mm -hmm. you're entering into a covenant relationship with the infinite god of the universe you are walking into a lifestyle Uh, this is a new life this is about and that's of course why repentance has to be closely connected with this you're you're turning your life around. You're changing. You're coming to walk in newness of life, which, according to Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, is key to understanding biblical baptism. So I, I think that's just as central and just as important to emphasize. Listen, do you understand 
the cost of this. Right. You might become a Christian at 25 years old. You might not die till you're 85. That's 60 years of being a faithful, devoted, fruit-bearing Christian. Are you ready for that? Right. Right. I mean, and I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of done with um, the days of, of kind of, and this is my own personal failures and learning from them. You know, we're almost like you, you try and make Christianity as appealing as you possibly can to get them into the water, you know, where you try and minimize what's going to be expected of them as Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what all you end up doing when you do that is setting them up for failure. Yeah. And create creating disciples that are not ready to follow Jesus Christ. Man, that's so well said. Uh, I just did a lesson a day for a Bible class at Preston Crest, actually. Um talking about that very passage in Luke 9, 57 through 62, about the cost of following Jesus. And there's there's three different guys there. <laughs> I called them three different contestants. One of these guys is just too anxious. One mm-hmm. guy's not anxious enough, and one guy's not anxious at all. But mm-hmm. contestant number one, he's the guy like, oh, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I, I'm with you. And Jesus is like, uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't know where I'm spending the night tonight. Like, are you sure this is what you want? Let's tap the brakes. Let's slow down a minute. Let's evaluate this because you don't know what you're signing up for. I want you mm-hmm. to come, but you got to know what you're getting into because if, if mm-hmm. you don't, if you keep looking back, that's when Jesus says you put your hand to the plow and look back. You are not fit for service in the kingdom of God. So mm-hmm. um, exactly, exactly what you're saying. I appreciate that. Um couple more questions and, and we'll call it a day. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. Maybe uh, without us expounding on them too much, what do you think are some of the key verses for someone who's listening to this that they need to look at further for baptism or key examples for baptism in the New Testament? Well, a couple of my kind of go-to passages, uh, of course, I think in Ephesians 4 is a great one. But as far as helping people to see that baptism is the point at which we receive forgiveness and the grace of God. I love Paul's recounting of his conversion account in Acts chapter 22, that, that verse in verse 16 where he's recounting it, and he's recounting Ananias' response to him. He says, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Hmm. There's a lot there in that verse. Um, the fact that he has to be immersed to wash away his sins. I mean, those two things are undeniably connected in this verse, but it's also connected to the, this phrase calling on the name of the Lord, which is which is the exact same thing that Peter said in Acts chapter 2 when he's um, citing the Joel prophecy there mm-hmm. from Joel 2. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then what does Peter immediately tell the people to do? To, be, to repent and be baptized mm-hmm. for the forgiveness of their sins. So we see that the message from Acts 2 to Acts 22 has been preserved. Right. It's been the same thing. Um, my other go-to passage um, that I like to, to go to is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. Now, albeit it's a little bit of an odd verse because here Peter is referring to baptism as similar to the Noahic flood. Mm-hmm. And so he's using this, this type and anti-type, this foreshadowing, um, these images. But it's really easy. I mean, really, when you get down to it, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, baptism, which co- corresponds to this, that is the Noahic flood, which corresponds to this, now saves you. 
not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's hard to, it's really hard to get around what Peter's saying there. Mm-hmm. I mean, baptism, and you take that little phrase out of the middle, which is, you know, kind of a parenthetical statement, which corresponds to this. So what do you have? Baptism now saves you. Yeah. Now, it saves you how? At the end of that verse, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the power of Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that verse quoted many times in certain materials. And it always happens to leave out that one little phrase there. (laughs) And um, so I think those are pretty powerful verses when it comes to baptism. Right. And beyond the verses, um, saying those things word for word, every, I know we talk about this all the time, but every conversion experience in the book of Acts includes baptism. Over and over. Not a single conversion experience is like, okay, you believe, cool. Uh, You know, good luck. It, mm-hmm. Every time it's okay. You do believe well. Then we need to go solidify your belief by you receiving your forgiveness of sins through baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two powerful accounts in Acts when it comes to that. Number one is the Cornelius account in Acts ten, where he's already received the Spirit, and yet they still think he needs to be baptized right. immediately. Mm-hmm. And then Acts sixteen, the Philippian jailer, he's baptized. There's several phrases with between verses thirty and thirty three there where Luke wants you to know that his baptism was immediate. Mm. He uses it was immediate. It was the same hour of the night. It was right then and there. Mm. You know, if baptism is not central, if baptism is not important, if it's simply a confirmation of something that's already been done, then why the immediacy? Right. Why the urgency? I mean Paul could still have done it tomorrow. He was still there. Yeah. We see it in the text later on. But they wanted to do it that hour of the night. Yeah. So well said. So well said. Okay, last question. Uh, what is one thing you wish someone had taught you about baptism that you've learned since the day you were baptized? I think that it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast. I, I really wish growing up I would have learned a little bit more, or a lot more, about the grace of God. Mm-hmm. About, you know, that it wasn't so much about you know, me as it was God and what he was doing for me in baptism, that it wasn't so much about, you know, just this formula, but about the father. And, you know, I, I really wish I would have learned that because I, I think that it would have saved me from a lot of anxiety that I had, uh, over my salvation. Um, and it would have helped me to frame some of my teaching better earlier on in my ministry. Um, so I, I think that if I if I had to have something taught to me, I wish it would have been more of an emphasis on the cross, more of an emphasis on the grace of God, and on how the perfection and the righteousness of Christ is the means by which I was being saved, not by my own perfection, not by my own works, but as a gift of God's salvation. Absolutely. That's so well said. And anytime we separate obedience from grace uh grace is the very thing that gives us the ability to obey and we Mm -hmm. can't we can't separate the two and so many times we do and uh jacob your comments today were so good so um inciting insightful inciting that's a new word i just made up i'm sure all the (laughs) listeners are so impressed by that inciting word insightful uh inspirational 
any other I word you want to add in there, but we are, uh, I'm thankful for your time today. I know you're busy and, um, appreciate, Happy your, to thoughts. Be here. appreciate your thoughts. This does conclude our series on baptism, and I think it's only appropriate to say, whether you're in the Austin area or the Dallas area, uh, we would love to continue this conversation with you more. If we need to study with you or answer any questions you have or just talk with you about uh, your standing with God, your, your peace about where you are with God, please reach out to us. You can email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Jacob, what's your email address? Mine's jakerutt90 at gmail.com. Reach out to jakerutt90 at gmail.com. Uh, find a, a local church that follows the New Testament near you and uh, make sure that this is something that you understand and something that you act upon. I want to close today the same way I close each episode. First of all, reminding you to keep your eyes on heaven. And secondly, on this journey of life, there is going to be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready by navigating your journey. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.